it's, uh, it is a privilege, especially you know, what we've gone through over the last couple of years. It's a privilege to gather together as brothers and sisters in the name of Jesus and worship God. And I hope we never, ever take that for granted in you know, going forward for the rest of, rest of our lives on, the, on this earth. And then it's good to dress rehearsal for what we're going to do for eternity. So uh, welcome to Silver Creek Church this morning. My name is Mike Murray. My wife Nikki and I serve as directors of a campus ministry at NMU called Chi Alpha Christian Fellowship. We've been uh, members here at Silver Creek for a long time. I have the privilege of serving as a deacon as well. So welcome to Silver Creek and welcome to the most meaningful week on the Christian calendar. Um, Here at Silver Creek, we do not typically follow the week-to-week schedule that liturgical churches use to structure their year, but this is one of the exceptions. Uh, In Christian churches around the world, this week starting today is known as Holy Week or Passion Week, and today is Palm Sunday. I'm not sure if you see that on your calendar, but my calendar on my phone reminded me today's Palm Sunday. And what does that mean? Palm Sunday is the day when Christians around the world gather and remember and celebrate Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on the week that started Holy Week, that started Passion Week. It's the day when he declared through his actions that he really is the righteous, victorious, yet humble king sent by God to save his people. So it's a a great day on the church calendar. And uh, last week, Pastor Kevin began our April sermon series titled, On the Road Again. And he got things started by singing a rousing rendition of Willie Nelson's song by the same name. And uh, if you missed it, you can check it out on Silver Silver Creek's YouTube channel, and it's it's great. I want to clarify that he did not sing on the road again. That was just wishful thinking on my part. So hopefully uh, we we have a couple more weeks in this sermon series. I hope he gets his guitar out and we can sing on the road again and just sing along. It would be a good time. Uh, But my message this morning does fit in with with the theme of on the road, talking about the road to Jerusalem as Jesus, as part of his triumphal entry, went into Jerusalem. I want to look at the crowds on the road that surrounded him. So Jesus, as he makes his way into the city, I want to look at the faces in the crowd, the faces in the crowd on the way to Jerusalem. Um, Somebody from from the first service said, you forgot to give us a spoiler alert. So I'll just tell you right now, like we kind of know how the story ends, right? Like we know Jesus rides into the city uh, and is cheered by the crowds. And then Friday they put him on a cross and put him in the grave, and then Sunday, he, he rises again, victorious. So uh, I think we know that, um, and it's hard to look at Palm Sunday without that realization. So, so how did we get from where we are on Sunday, the crowds cheering and singing and welcoming a king, to Friday when they put him on a cross? Because that's a pretty big shift in just a few days. So what, what were these different factions thinking What were their expectations and assumptions? How did those assumptions influence what they did in the the days that followed? And then some personal questions. Do we see ourselves in any of these groups that surround Jesus? And how can we learn from them and grow into our calling to become more like him? So that's that's where we're going on this Palm Sunday. Uh, The triumphal entry is recorded in all four Gospels, in the New Testament. And this is 
This is a flashing sign to us that this is important. Out of the entire life and ministry of Jesus, there are only about 18 scenes that appear in all four gospels. So this is a message from God. Say, hey, pay attention to this. It was so important. It's in all four. Uh, It it appears in Mark 11, Luke 19, John 12. And I will read uh, the, the account found in chapter 21 of Matthew. But at this point of the gospel narrative, Jesus and his disciples have made the journey from Jericho in the Jordan River Valley up to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. The Passover was the biggest celebration of the year uh, for the people of Israel. It was a kind of a combination of, of Christmas and Easter and all the holidays rolled into one. It was the big moment when they commemorated the time in their history when God miraculously and powerfully freed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And God commanded them every year, remember this moment. So that's what, that's what they're doing. Uh, Mar- uh, Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, uh, pick up the story. So try to picture the scene as I, as I read Matthew 21, 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, Say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Verse six, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds then went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. This means save us. Save us, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So notice a few things here. Verse 8 refers to a very large crowd on the road. Verse 9 refers to the crowds that went before and followed. Verse 11 also refers to the crowds. So there are a lot of people here, and Matthew wants us to know that. And the city of Jerusalem and the surrounding areas on this spring Sunday were being inundated by religious pilgrims. So when, when we as Christians celebrate Christmas or Resurrection Sunday, as, as we will next week, if we travel, we usually travel to, you know, we, we spread out. We usually travel to family. We go home wherever, uh, wherever that is. The Jewish practice in biblical times was for everyone to gather in one place for the Passover. And, you know, if they could, they would do it in the city limits of Jerusalem where the temple was located. So people from throughout Palestine and the surrounding regions were on a pilgrimage to the capital, Jerusalem. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of people streaming into the city. They're singing songs, they're waving palm branches, they're reconnecting with relatives and friends they haven't seen since the, since the last festival. They're eating at Olive Garden, they're shopping at Hobby Lobby, all the things they can't do in their own hometowns. So it, it's a celebration, it's, it's a party, they're all getting together. And within this mob of people, thousands and thousands of people, 
I want to highlight four different groups based on their relationship to Jesus. And as we work through these four, kind of getting closer to Jesus with each step, I believe we'll be able to see ourselves somewhere in here. So we'll learn a little bit about ourselves, learn a little bit more about Jesus, and hopefully learn how, that, how to live more like him. So four groups. Uh, the first group I want to highlight is the loyal opposition. The loyal opposition. I refer to these people as loyal because of their loyalty, not to Jesus, but to the nation of Israel and to the practices and power structures of their religion, Judaism. They were loyal to those things. And their opposition, clearly because they opposed Jesus at every turn. These people believed they were helping to protect their nation and their faith by getting in the way of Jesus. And who are these people who, who made up the loyal opposition? Mostly it was Pharisees and other teachers of the religious law. The Pharisees were a movement of religious people. We might consider them fanatics who believed wholeheartedly that their interpretation of scripture was 100% accurate and therefore everyone else is wrong. Like there was, there was no wiggle room in there. There was, there was no point where they said, well, I can, I can see where other people might have a different opinion. Their, their view was 100% accurate. And the Pharisees, the gospels show us, followed Jesus everywhere he went. Whenever we read about uh, a parable of Jesus or a miracle or some kind of teaching, the Pharisees are always there kind of looking for ways to, to trap him and, and trick him. And Luke tells us that the Pharisees were in the crowd on this Sunday, this first Palm Sunday. And they were offended that the people were singing songs of praise to Jesus. So uh, Luke chapter 19, verses 39 through 40 some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he replied, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. All of creation, even inanimate objects, will recognize that Jesus is the king. So the Pharisees were there and they were not happy. They were not happy to see what was going on. Uh, the Pharisees taught their followers that the way to achieve peace with God, to the way to achieve right standing with God was through strict observance of the law of Moses, along with other rules that they had added over the years. For some reason, they thought Moses's law was not strict enough, so they added other rules and piled them on. But Jesus taught the opposite of what they taught. He said, it's impossible to earn your way into God's kingdom. It's, it's impossible to be good enough to please God. Only by placing our total trust in Jesus and declaring our allegiance to him can we stand as blameless before God. Jesus said, only through me can you come to the Father. And this was so offensive to the Pharisees and other teachers that they wanted him dead. Because he was saying that he was on equal footing with God. They said he, he was saying he saw himself as equal with God, which in their view is blasphemy, and the penalty for this crime is death. So they wanted him dead. And if you tune into our next episode, you'll find out if they got their way. See, it doesn't work. We know the story. None of the cliffhangers work. We know how it goes. So what can we learn from the Pharisees? I think the loyal opposition serves as a warning. The Pharisees show us a couple of things. First, it's possible to lose the big picture by getting bogged down in minor details. 
We can lose the big picture. So at a, at a different point in his ministry, Jesus was asked by the Pharisees who were trying to trick him. They asked, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And he answered, actually, there are two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And then there's a second one, love your neighbor as yourself. So they asked him, what's most important? And he said, love God, love people. If we focus on the essentials, we won't get distracted by the non-essentials. Uh, Augustine said, in, in the family of God, we, uh, we should strive for uh, unity in the essentials. There's uh, liberty in the non-essentials, but in all things, charity. So all things, love. So the second warning from the Pharisees is this. It's possible to have the best motives and still do the wrong thing. Many of the Pharisees honestly thought they were protecting their nation and their religion by opposing Jesus. I will say that, that there were some who just wanted to protect their own power and position in there, but many really thought they were doing the right thing. It's possible to have the best motives and still do the wrong thing. That's why we need the Holy Spirit in our lives every day, helping to see what, not only what our motives are, but also to give us the wisdom to speak and act and think in ways that honor God rather than unwittingly opposing him. So our first group of people was the loyal opposition who mainly show us how not to act. Next group I want to look at, I call the curious bystanders. And you know these people from uh, accidents on the highway. Right? There are people, or, or house fires, people who all just show up just to watch. Uh, remember that Jesus and his inner circle were outsiders in Jerusalem. So they're going into Jerusalem, but that's not their home. Um, they were mostly from towns and villages in the northern part of the country. In, in those areas, Jesus was very well known as an engaging teacher, a miracle worker, maybe even the savior, the Messiah they've been waiting for. But in Jerusalem, the big capital city, he was still largely a curiosity. So imagine being a city dweller at the beginning of the Passover festival. You know that this week is going to be crazy. And I'm guessing that the merchants were pretty happy about it. The, you know, there were hundreds of thousands of people coming in. I'm guessing that the merchants this was probably one of the best times of year for them to earn a profit. So they're excited. So if you ran the Chick-fil-A or the Hampton Inn, you're happy. You're happy that all these people are coming. But normal, everyday people, maybe not so much. Their lives were being upended by all of this activity. Think about what it's like here in Marquette at the height of the summer tourist season. We're talking about that one weekend when the weather's great and everybody from downstate and Milwaukee says, hey, we're going to the UP. And they all show up here and the hotels are full and the restaurants are full and the beaches are crowded and the trails are crowded and the locals start complaining. <laughs> like, you know it and I know it. I might have done it, I, I'm not gonna say. So, like, can you believe all these tourists? Can you believe all this traffic? It took me nine minutes to get to Meyer yesterday and it usually takes seven. So, so Jerusalem is overrun. Some of the people, the ones who can make a shekel or two, are pretty happy. And then the others are complaining about the traffic. 
But no matter where they land on that spectrum, they know what to expect. They know what's coming. It's going to be crowded. It's going to take longer to do the things that they need to do. And yet, notice what Matthew writes in verse 10. He says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? Even in the busyness of the Passover season, even in the insanity that was that week with hundreds of thousands of people coming in, the city was still surprised by Jesus. The whole city, Matthew writes, the whole city was stirred. So this moment, even in the context of Passover, was unusual. Here's a guy riding into town on a donkey. People are singing songs about salvation. They're spreading cloaks out for him. They're waving palm branches, and there there aren't enough, so they climb trees and break more branches and throw them down in the road. This is a parade fit for a king. This is a royal welcome. And the curious bystanders see this and ask, who is this? Who is this? So the curious bystanders show us that people are always watching. People are always watching. So what was it that drew their attention on Palm Sunday? Jesus riding on a donkey? That was probably part of it. But I think another part was that they were drawn by Jesus' followers' response to him. They were drawn by shouts of joy. They were drawn by songs of praise. When we worship Jesus in word and deed, the curious bystanders will notice. When the followers of Jesus love each other as he first loved us, the bystanders notice. When the followers of Jesus get into petty arguments about the non-essentials, the bystanders notice. When the followers of Jesus serve the most vulnerable in society, widows and orphans and refugees and prisoners, the bystanders notice. And when the followers of Jesus become fixated on our own rights and privileges, the bystanders notice that as well. Jesus said the world would be able to identify his followers by our love for each other. That would be the distinguishing mark. So when they see us, what do they see? So we have the loyal opposition, the curious bystanders, the next group in the crowd that day were the freedom fighters, the freedom fighters. Let's take a step back and consider some historical context here. Palm Sunday was not the first time in the history of Israel where there was a triumphal entry. It was not the first time that a new king got on an animal and rode across the Kidron Valley up into the city of Jerusalem. Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 1. David, the second king of Israel at this time, is on his deathbed. He knows it, and all of his sons know it as well. By this point, David has decided that his son Solomon will follow him as king, but another one of his sons, Adonijah, is scheming to claim the crown. He wants to go around Solomon and get there first. So David learns about this, and he calls together his most trusted advisors. So we read the story, 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 32 to 35. This is David speaking. He said, Take Solomon and my officials down to Gihon Spring, which is in the Kidron Valley between Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives. Solomon is to ride on my own mule. 
Okay, this is significant. This is like the ancient Near Eastern version of getting a ride on Air Force One. Like he's gonna ride on my mule. He's gonna ride on the, the royal mule. There, Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet are to anoint him king over Israel. This is David still speaking. Blow the ram's horn and shout, long live King Solomon. Then escort him back here and he will sit on my throne. He will succeed me as king for I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. Verse 40 says, and all the people followed Solomon into Jerusalem, playing flutes and shouting for joy. The celebration was so joyous and noisy that the earth shook with the sound. Sound familiar? The crowds on Palm Sunday cheered and sang as Jesus rode into the city on a donkey. They knew their history and they knew their scripture. And in their minds, they made a connection to this guy on this donkey all the way back to King Solomon, the wealthiest, wisest, most powerful king in the history of the nation. And they also remembered the message from the prophet Zechariah, who wrote these words 450 years after Solomon, 500 years before Jesus. Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. By riding on a young donkey, Jesus was broadcasting to the people, I am your righteous and victorious king. I am your savior. I am the Messiah you've been waiting for. And all of this was true. But a segment of the people there, the freedom fighters, misunderstood what all of that meant. They misunderstood the role of the Messiah. When Jesus spoke about his coming kingdom, he was talking about a realm of peace and justice where Yahweh, the God of scripture, would be worshiped and served as the one true God. That's the coming kingdom. But when the freedom fighters thought about the Messiah, they pictured a kingdom built on military might and political power, like Solomon's was. They pictured a kingdom that could expel the Roman Empire from their territory and from their lives once and for all. They were just waiting for the word and they would drop everything and take up arms against the Romans. But Jesus had no interest in their military ambitions or political games. In John chapter 18, verse 36, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is from another place. His kingdom was not and is not an earthly kingdom concerned with our petty political preferences and power plays. He, it's not concerned with the values and priorities of an earthly kingdom. The freedom fighters thought, surely God's Messiah will save us from these godless Romans, these pagans. They had ambitions to stand up and fight for God as though God needs us to fight for him. They had in their minds images of the opulence of Solomon's temple and Solomon's palace. But they were mistaken. They misunderstood the promise of the Messiah. Jesus shows us later in the week, once and for all, that his kingdom is not built on wealth or generals or political leaders, but on humility, sacrifice, and love. Jesus said, love your 
enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Like, who lives like that? So when Jesus did not fulfill the freedom fighters' expectations of what the Messiah would be, they turned their backs on him and searched for someone else. So what can we learn from the freedom fighters? First, let's not think that Jesus cares as much as we do about our political preferences. Not saying politics is unimportant. It's just not as important as sometimes we make it out to be. And let's not think that the support or backing of an earthly leader or party or government can affect the advancement of the kingdom of God. It's not dependent on whether earthly kings or presidents or dictators endorse our wishes. And we have biblical evidence for this. The book of Acts shows clearly that the early church spread beyond Palestine, not in spite of persecution, but because of persecution. The persecution of the Roman government and Jewish religious leaders forced the church outward. Jesus had said, carry my good news to the ends of the earth, but nobody moved a muscle until persecution forced them out. We might not like persecution. I take that back. We do not like persecution. But sometimes this is how God gets us back on mission. So today on this Palm Sunday, the two countries where the church is growing fastest in our world today are ruled by leaders who violently and vehemently oppose the message of the gospel. And you can find me after the service and I'll tell you which two because I think we're being recorded. So the two countries where the church is growing the fastest have leaders who violently want to crush the church. The believers and church leaders in those oppressive nations have learned that the only way forward is total dependence on the power of God and not proximity to earthly power. Persecution drives us to our knees. So may we focus on the mission that God has given us, proclaiming his good news and making disciples, and leave earthly agendas to the kingdoms of earth. So we have the loyal opposition, curious bystanders, the freedom fighters, and the last group I want to look at are the true believers. The true believers. And even at this point of his life and ministry, how many people really knew who Jesus was? I think we read the Gospels, very few had a picture of who Jesus truly was. Think about what the crowds had seen to this point. They knew that Jesus was a great teacher. He was a miracle worker. Some people thought that he might be the Messiah, the Savior. It was certainly a possibility in the minds of some people. But as we've seen, some thought that the Messiah would be a military or political figure. But as to his true identity as Son of God, Savior of the world, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, how many people in the crowd that day saw that? Probably not many, because even members of his own inner circle misunderstood what his kingdom would be about. Here's what I want to say about this group of true believers. The only reason that they were able to see Jesus' true identity was because God himself gave them the faith to believe. That's it. It wasn't that they were smarter 
or more insightful or more holy than anyone else. God drew them to himself and opened their eyes. And the same is true of us. Despite all of the advantages we have, now we, we have all of scripture, we have an understanding of biblical languages and biblical archeology span and theology. We can, we can examine every word of Jesus that's been recorded. Even despite all of these advantages, we still need God to give us the faith to believe. No one can come to belief in Jesus unless God draws us to him. We are adopted into God's family by grace, through faith, and the faith itself is a gift from God. It's not something we can conjure up on our own. And this fact, I think, should draw true believers to two responses. The first is gratitude, simple gratitude. Because God has opened our eyes to the truth of the gospel, we owe it to him to live our lives in a perpetual state of thanksgiving. We haven't done anything. He has done everything. And this gratitude then leads us to live on mission. We're called to make room for more. We're in God's family. He says, make room for more. So how do we do that? We love God with our entire beings, which we can't do on our own. We're called to love our neighbors as ourselves, which we can't do on our own. We're called to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute us. We know we can't do that on our own. God wants us to recognize that every person we will ever meet in our entire lives is an eternal being made in the image of God. And if we get that perspective, we will love as God calls us to love. And when we lead with love, God does what only he can do. He answers our prayers. He draws our friends and family members and even our enemies to himself. He softens hearts. He opens eyes. He shows people the reality that Jesus is the righteous and victorious king, and we need to declare our total allegiance to him. So we've met four groups of people, the loyal opposition, the curious bystanders, the freedom fighters, the true believers. They sang songs of praise. They spread cloaks on the road. They waved palm branches. They dreamed dreams of a coming kingdom. And somehow, despite their mistaken expectations and erroneous assumptions, they gave Jesus the welcome he deserved. Like that's the welcome Jesus deserved. So despite all of those expectations and assumptions that were off, they still gave him the welcome he deserved. So those of us who come to consider the claims of Jesus in 2022, we, we can't look at Palm Sunday without also recognizing that there's a crucifixion and a resurrection coming. We already know what happens. We know the rest of the story. We know that Jesus conquered the grave, which we just sang about. He conquered the grave, proving that he really was who he said he was, Lord and God. So may we give him the welcome he deserves. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and take a moment to consider what Jesus might be asking of us in, on this Palm Sunday. Jesus declares, I am the Messiah. I am the Savior. I am the righteous, victorious, and humble King. I am the King above all kings. That's what Jesus is saying to us. And I believe he's asking this morning, are you ready to make him your King? Are you ready to declare your allegiance to him?
The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. We welcomed into his, his kingdom. And if that's you today, if you want to respond and say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. I want to declare my allegiance to King Jesus. I'm going to ask you to do one thing. I'm not going to ask you to come forward or do anything. Just wave at me, make eye contact. No one else is looking around. I just want to know how to pray for you. Thank you. Like anybody else. So let's pray. Father, we worship you for your greatness and your goodness. We thank you for blessing us with your unconditional love. We thank you for sending King Jesus so that we can make our way back to you. And right now we declare our allegiance to Jesus. We declare our loyalty to Jesus, the righteous and victorious yet humble King. And just as the crowds in Jerusalem welcomed Jesus, we welcome him onto the throne of our lives. Our lives are yours. We offer them to you. Do with them as you wish. We thank you for the privilege of serving you. And we pray these things in the name of the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord, his, the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace.